Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another Leadership is Changing podcast episode. My name is Dennis Giannoutsos, and I'm your host, and I want to welcome you to this episode where I had the opportunity to interview a gentleman by the name of Jake Stall. Now, Jake is what we call a fractional chief learning officer. And I was like, what's that title mean? And so he explains what that is in the actual interview as well. But he's got over 30 years of experience and working with sales and training and so forth and a great guy to have a conversation in relation to the topic that we just did or the title of this episode, which is what's your self-talk? Interesting topic because for a lot of people, you have that inner critic. You have a lot going on for yourself and what are you saying to yourself? We also talked about communication should be intentional. The other thing is that my future is on the other side of fear. And we just got to get through that fear barrier to have that future that we're wanting or looking forward to. And so he's shared so many wonderful insights in the interview. So let's listen to the interview and enjoy. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful Leadership is Changing podcast episode. Great to have you here with us again. I have a wonderful guest with me today. His name is Jake Stahl. Jake, a massive welcome to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's quite an honor to be here. Excellent. Now, I always ask the question with my guests, whereabouts are you in the world today? I am in Connecticut in the United States. I live in a town called Norwich, which is a historic little burg. Well, all of Connecticut is pretty historic, but a lot of cool things happen in our town. Now, when you say historic, what, what do you mean? We have a lot of houses here that were built in the late 1600s all the way up through the mid to late 1700s. So my house is 253 years old and was owned by the cousin of a very prominent person in, in U.S. history, Samuel Huntington. Wow. That's amazing. And so... That's a long time ago, that house. That sounds really, really special to be living in a house like that, but also to be living in an area like that too. Yeah, it's neat because all the houses are historic in this area and everybody loves to tell the story of their houses. And mine was owned by a cabinet maker who wound up having to give up his house for debts totaling somewhere around $12 our time. And it was a lot back in the late 1700s, but... He had to give up the house because he couldn't sell his cabinets. And now his cabinets go for anywhere between a million and a million five on the open market. Wow. Yeah. Amazing, <laughs> isn't it? All yeah. artists are better once they're dead, right? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people and a lot of things in life like that, that the value of things go a lot more when the person dies and passes on. Yeah. 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 Okay. Very fascinating uh, story there. But also what I'd like to know a little bit more and the listeners would like to know. Because I've actually done a recording, pre-recording of introducing you to them a little bit. But we'd like to know more about you. So tell us more about your background. Sure. I've got 30 years in training development. I've trained in six different countries, 10,000 people. But I also have a sales background. 
So my sales led into training and development. And where I come to today with what I teach just came from a fascination with the way people communicate. I always was fascinated by people saying, how are you? And then never really paying attention to the answer. It, it was almost like just non-conversation. So that led me into conditioning and neuro-linguistic programming and, and everything that surrounds that. So it's interesting how you say that, because I think, you know, for my audience here who are executives, leaders, aspiring leaders, and so forth, when they're meeting people, like when they're in a networking event, first of all, some people just don't like going to networking events. And I think it's, they feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think what you just said there is really important about when we meet each other, remembering names is one thing, but how are you and things like that. How is important is it for someone to actually listen to what the other person says? Well, what should they be doing? Well, I think communication should be intentional, especially if you're a leader speaking to other leaders or you're working with investors, or maybe you're just selling your idea, your concept to somebody else. But speech needs to be intentional. And how are you is really not as intentional. Something more intentional would be, it's a true pleasure to meet you. I was looking forward to this. And at the end of the pause, that really gets somebody else to respond. But I was really looking forward to meeting you is a much more emphatic greeting or enthusiastic greeting that's likely to lead to a reciprocation. The hi, how are you? We're all so conditioned to just do the fine thanks or I'm okay, how are you? Just skip that step. And for companies that have sales organizations, please have your salespeople skip that step. It's a non-starter. Yeah. And I think really good because it's different, right? It's a different way. So it'll actually grab people's attention. And, or it's a bit like, how are you? And the response from somebody is, I am fantastic. Or right. I'm awesome. And I used to have somebody who used to work for me who used to respond like that. And it would actually create the conversation because people go, whoa, this is different. And it's like, because people don't normally respond like, I'm good. No, I'm good. Yeah, good. Thanks. And it's just a non sort of kind of response, just a sort of average thing, right? Where it's different. And I like what you're saying. Asking that question is different for sure. Well, it breaks the conditioning. You know, Dennis, we're conditioned from the time we're young to respond certain ways to certain things. Stove is hot, lion is dangerous, razors are sharp. And it gets to be that way with some of our verbiage. And if we can break that conditioning, it not only helps to reset a conversation. But it helps to make both of you think, because when we're not used to a greeting or a response, it's almost like a little reset in our head that takes place. And usually to your benefit, if your greeting is strong enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Good to hear. Now, your background as well is regarded as a fractional chief learning officer. What is that? It's kind of a fancy way of saying that I come in and I work with a company to develop their training and development. So I help them create onboarding programs. I help them get their salespeople up and profitable. You know, you spend 20000 and up to bring somebody on board, and it can take six months to a year before they're actually making your money back. So I help companies get to that profitability with somebody they hire much quicker I help them formalize the program, make it consistent across the company, and then make it scalable. So it's no longer something where a new employee comes in and you sit in with a manager who just created a PowerPoint slide deck. Then the next group that comes in gets a completely different experience. 
there's a lot to be said for consistency of message. And then we take that across and we work with marketing and customer service to really formalize a message so everybody is on the same page. Fractional merely means that I do it in a shorter period of time. So I will come in as the chief learning officer. I only need to work with you a couple of hours a week to make this happen. You don't have to bring me on part-time. I mean, you don't have to bring me on full-time or sign a long-term contract. Let me do my work in the way that's going to be the most cost-efficient for you. So I do it in a fractional period of time for a fraction of the money. That's a different way of doing it. It's great. Jake, you know what? I find that there is, as you say, spend $20,000 bringing somebody on board, hiring them. By the time, it's a long period it can take. So the onboarding is going to be very important to try and get them on and hit the road running and get, you know, to be able to bring in sales and so forth to make that exactly. payback time quicker. Now, the thing here is that I presume you're seeing this, I've seen it as well, is that when the onboarding isn't right, when we don't get people underway, the retention is not very good. What are you seeing out there? It's the exact same thing in the US. When you bring some people on and they don't have a good onboarding experience, you're painting a picture of what the rest of their career is going to look like. Are you investing in them? are you? And I often see ads, Dennis, and it really bothers me that says we pay competitive rates. Okay, then I'll work competitively. You want to pay me the best rates, I'll be the best person that you can get. So I think what we really get what we ask for. And part of the whole process of onboarding is not only giving them a good feel of the product and the environment and your demographics, but also a good feel for the company. And it gets them set for the weeks and months to come. And then we just repeat it and we help them grow their skills. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about a Salesforce dentist is that people just say, well, you're a salesperson, just sell. And it doesn't work like that. Like any CEO needs to go to classes, CFOs, salespeople need it as well. Well, it's just the same as leaders, just lead. Well, right. no, they need to be developed, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think what you're saying, and even if we think about the NLP, the neuro-linguistic programming side of things, the language, the words that are being used, what we're really saying here is, what I'm hearing is that we need to set the intent up front and it needs to be better that, so then competitive rates, things like that, just change the language a bit and it might help. Correct. And just to add to that a little bit, because you're dead on, reduce your reliance on scripting. So, you know, a lot of people get their elevator pitch. Like if you're a leader and you're trying to promote your business to somebody, you get that elevator pitch down. And that's great to have a script for it right off the bat so that you have a structure. But here's the issue. Scripts don't let you adapt. And so once the script is ingrained, then you need to adapt it to the situations. And that's where some people get tripped up. For my individual clients, the single biggest question I get asked is, how do I sell myself in my business? You know, I find that the script piece actually is a bit of a sort of, people get stuck with that because, oh, I've got to get my script right and things like that. And I go, look, the script's important, but you know what? That's you talking about yourself. The best salespeople I know, it's more about the customer and asking them really good questions. So how about getting really good at asking questions? rather than just a script. What's your thoughts on that? I agree 100%. And here's where companies get stuck. I will religiously go into a company that is looking to increase their sales. So I'll say, what's your close rate? 
and they'll say, well, we close one out of every 100 people. So we have five people doing 100 calls a piece so that we can get five sales. Dennis, we don't look at anything else in life like that. I don't say in order to find my soulmate, I have to meet 350 people today. Or in order to find the right grocery store with a product I want, I have to visit 12 grocery stores. But as a company, a lot of times they take past performance and they make it a future indicator. And it doesn't have to be. To your point, if we can modify that script and then make people adapt to it and talk about the customer, we build relationships instead of just transactions. And that is what I do inside companies. I teach you how to get that 20-year customer, not that single sale that's not going to renew in a year. Yep. So it's not just a one-off. It's about the long-term sales, the long-term relationship. That's the ability to be able to adapt to do that and move. I think it really is, Jake, saying let's move with the audience, right? In other words, let's adapt with the audience, let's adapt with the market, but adapt with the audience in front of us and what they want and how they need things and then be able to move with them. I think to your point, Dennis, think about how receptive people are once you get to know them a little bit. So you and I talked a little bit before the podcast. So if I were to say something that maybe doesn't come across right, you may say, oh, well, that's just Jake being a little bit of a flub. But if I started off with that, you would be less forgiving because it would be the first impression. So when we talk to people, it's important to talk about them first because the longer you talk to them and build their trust, the more they want to know about you and what your product is. It's an amazing thing. The part that's really cool is what psychologically takes place is that if you and I enjoy having a conversation, you don't attribute to the conversation. You attribute it to me, my company, and my product. So the next time I call, hey, that's Jake. Yeah, I'll pick up. The last time I talked to him, that was great. Mm. And I think some companies get to miss that piece, Dennis, because they're too anxious to have that transaction. Do you know, I was sitting, I did some training in Houston with some leaders about presenting to executives and so forth. And the other co-facilitator, we were having dinner at the hotel. And in the booth behind us, we couldn't see them. We just heard this sales guy, insurance sales guy, talking to a professional American football player. And he was trying to sell him into all sorts of things. But this salesperson just would not shut up. I mean, he just kept talking and kept talking. And the other co-facilitator and I just kept saying, breathe, just just stop, just shut up, just let the guy talk. And But he wasn't doing it. And he just talked, talk, 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 talk. Then the guy says, okay, buy, I'm going to buy. And I'm like, did you buy just to get out of the scenario <laughs> until they got to stop or are you buying because you need this product? I I don't know. Yeah. So if I just buy something for you, will you let me go? Can I just walk away? (laughs) Right. So I'll make the commitment to shut you up. And then that's the end of our transaction. Yeah. It was amazing. Pretty amazing. Now we're going to be talking about leadership and going to be talking about a whole lot of different questions and things like that. And uh, what you're sharing so far is awesome because I think listeners, if you, you should be taking lots of notes here because what Jake's sharing is really important. So the ability to ask questions, the ability to adapt, the ability to communicate in an intentional way is really important. Now, Jake, leadership. How did you get into leadership? I was asked to take a leadership role at one point, and I would say it really converted the way I looked at things because I was a salesperson, and we all know that salespeople don't always convert well into leadership. But it was a great transition. The company I was with offered an amazing training program and a lot of support. And it helped get into that spot. And then I was separated from a company I was with for 16 years. And I thought, well, it's time. 
It's time to just go off and do things on my own. And it's been a terrifying and yet remarkably exhilarating journey. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that journey in a second. It reminds me of what you just shared there about a story about, I was doing a workshop with some leaders and the sales manager came, actually he was a sales director maybe at that level. He was coming out in the morning tea break, real smart. I mean, when I say smart, cheeky guy. And he turned around and said to another person, do you know that if you can't sell, you become a trainer? And I'm like, oh, okay, here comes the, the blow. So I turn around and says, yeah, and if you can't train, you become a sales manager. <laughs> it's sort of. <laughs> Very good comeback. Yeah, got to, got to be quick. Now, that transition for you, because some people who listen to this podcast also understand part of leadership is changing is also about changing your job, changing, going to do something else, like coming out of a large or coming out of a role, whether it be a large or a small organization, then going off into entrepreneurship or going off into starting a business. That transition, what was it like for you? Well, it, it was hard. You know, you Finding a client is tough and you take jobs in between while you're trying to find clients because you need to pay the bills. And there were a lot of doubtful days. There are a lot of days you question what you're doing. And for me, at least, it came to a certain time where I thought, you know, my future is on the other side of my fear. And I'm like, I'll idea. I had a lot of fearful days. <laughs> but you come to a point where... I either have to do this or I have to stop. And when you make the decision to do it, something really bizarre happens. Your brain starts to come up with a million different things that you should be doing. Because when you have that safety net, your brain's just telling you, you have a safety net. You're okay. Don't worry about getting that other stuff done. But when you cut the cord, your body goes into an amazing transformation. And you just start coming up with great ideas and you work harder and stronger. And I don't even remember who that person was before Dennis, because they were so different. They were the kind that just settled and decided I'm in a safety net and I'm good here. And I just didn't want to do that anymore. Mm. I'm the same. When I came out of the organization, start my own business. Yes, there were days as well, like you just shared, right? And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs go through that, but it's actually becoming I've become comfortable being uncomfortable and in a sense that I'm now, it's just part of the package, but I just know that if business is quiet and that I go into creative mode even more so, if it's busy, I'm still in creative mode, but it's just amazing what happens. And that whole transition you just talked about is what a lot of people fear. They don't want to go and do it. So you've got a whole lot of people sitting in roles today that are bored. They don't want to be there. They're not out there doing what they wanted to do. In fact, they're not doing a very good sales job on themselves, really, right? They're not talking to themselves. And so I think there's one thing that's definitely, you've got to do it. But I know it's easy for Jake and it's easy for Dennis to turn around and say, just do the leap or take the leap because it's not easy. But just know that, as you said, the success is on the other side of fear. It's just sitting there waiting for you. And when you take enough risks, it's no longer risk-taking. It's normal behavior. So when you continue to do those things, it's amazing what a habit it becomes. But yeah, I, I don't want to undersell the fact that there were nights I questioned and said, I just made a huge mistake. This was the wrong path to go. And I learned my lesson. And, you know, you start sending resumes out again and you're getting rejected by algorithms. And, you know, there's no safety anymore because companies are laying off everywhere and sometimes without notice. So when you're sitting in a boardroom and you're enjoying the fact that there's some sort of safety there, 
There's not. And you get to the point where you think to yourself, do I want to control my safety? If I fail, is it better to have just me to blame? And, and for me in particular, yeah. If I'm going to fail, I'd like to know it was my fault. Not that I did fantastic. And despite that, I still got laid off. Yep. And I took the attitude off. I'm going to fail. Let's do it massively. Let's do it really, really well. And so, you know, that's one way of looking at it, or I'm going to succeed and do it really well. But I was, it was the way I looked at it. Jake, now this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I go back to the same person every time. I liked Lee Iacocca. He was a man who just knew what he wanted. He wasn't afraid to ruffle feathers. And at one point, he wanted to lead a company and said, listen, I'll do it for a dollar. Now, granted, he didn't need the money, no question about it. But his leadership style was really interesting to me in that it was a take no guff leadership style. He put out a great book called Where Have All the Real Men Gone? And when you read it, it kind of hits home that we get so politically correct and so wrapped up in what we should do that we don't look at what we could do. And that was huge with Lee, or at least the Lee I perceived. I obviously didn't know him, but the Lee I perceived was more of a, this is what I can do, and I'm just going to go ahead and do that. When did that book come out? Oh, that had to be mid-80s. And isn't it still relevant? Isn't it really relevant today? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And you look at leadership today, and you think a lot of them fall into that. You know, Elon Musk is doing his own thing. Jeff Bezos did his own thing. And they're not immune to the criticism, but they don't take it to heart. I think Winston Churchill said, you'll never get where you're going if you stop to throw stones at every barking dog. Mm. So it's a great lesson. And doubt goes into your fear. So one of the things I did, Dennis, was I do a lot of things each day that restore my commitment. I surround myself with things that I want out of life, pictures, books, diagrams. And on my computer, I wrote a check from my company to me for the exact amount I want to make this year. And I look at that check every day. And it's just a way to maintain that commitment when you have some of your darker moments. Yep. Yep. And I love that because the thing is having that kind of thing around you, pictures, whatever it is, right? That's right around you is really what you're starting to focus on. And if you can focus on it, that's what you're going to attract. And I think that is so powerful. I mean, having that check, really cool. You know what? Add another zero, which, which would be really cool. Or is that the check for your monthly amount rather than a yearly amount? But you know what? It's just amazing. Because if that's what's in front of you and you can focus on that, that's good. If your doubt is in front of you, that's what you're going to get as well, right? That's what you're going to focus on. So I, I love what you just shared there. So for our listeners, if the, you see there's a few things that you do, one of those is you look at things around you, surround you to remind you, because I think your why and knowing what your why is and the things that you're working towards is very strong to help you through those periods of those peaks and troughs, right? That helps you. Is there anything else that you do on a daily basis as a routine to help you stay on course and where you need to go? One thing I do, Dennis, is a lot of self-talk. I'll be honest with you. 10 years ago, I was not a believer in self-talk. I thought, what could that possibly do for me? But now there are a number of things I say to myself 
each day when I get up in the morning, each night before I go to bed, one of them is is expressing gratitude. I just want to be thankful for anything that happens. Even if it's a failure, I like to think that that failure is going to lead to something great. Again, I want to add the disclaimer. I am not a happy guy all the time. I have those weak moments and those down moments, but I think they last, I think they're shorter than they used to be. And another practice I get into is when I look in the mirror at night, I say, I forgive you because Hmm. I make a lot of mistakes during the day. And it's like, I forgive you. It was a rough day and you're human. You made some mistakes. You're going to be okay. Yeah. No, nice way of doing it. And you know, the, how you said that, you know, we'll drop down. The way I say it is that our attitude drops. It doesn't matter who you are. Every single person's attitude drops, but it's how quickly you bounce back. It's the bounce is what the way I call it, which I think is really important. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's really important for the listeners to understand that it's not just, oh, you do this and next minute, da-da, you actually do go through things and you still need to do it. Now, if you're the, the gentleman, you're just Leo Ioka. Leo Iokoka. Yep. Yep. If you were to have a meeting with him, like on a coffee, on a bench, having a coffee together, what would be one question you would like to ask him? I think I would ask him what his self-talk is. Because, you know, he took a boatload of criticism in the press from his colleagues, from the people he worked with. I would almost want to know how he convinced himself at night that everything was going to be okay. I think all of us are kind of prone to that 4 a.m. It's dark. The doubts are creeping in. I would almost want to know what was his self-talk to make him do what he did. You know, Dennis, you and I are blessed in that we don't have our decisions splashed on USA Today and the Wall Street Journal and spread all over the world. And and he did. And these big leaders do. And I often wonder, what do they say to themselves when a lousy headline hits? How do they deal with it? And I think I would want to have known Lee's secret. Mm, I think that's pretty cool. I'd love to have known the answer to that. Yeah, very good. So what is your self-talk? In other words, how are you doing that on a daily basis? Really good thing to think about. Now, the title of the show is called Leadership is Changing. When I talk about that title, that statement, what does it mean to you? It means to me that I we're forming a company that doesn't use the tagline, this is the way we've always done it. I always think back to Walt Disney and he had a quote that said, I look at what everybody else is doing and then I do the exact opposite. And I really think of leadership in a should, could scenario. We, there's a lot of things we should do, but if we eliminate anything that is absolutely impossible, I mean, no question that it's impossible. We have the probable. So why isn't that probable in your, I could do this list? And I think leaders nowadays need to think in terms of what can I do, regardless of how low the probability is. Yep. I think their staff are looking at them to also be like that as well, because they're looking for a rock. They're looking for the person with the vision and so forth to come in behind and help the organization. So I I totally agree with you. I think it's really awesome. And that's another good point, Dennis, is just to build on that. I think leaders have to be a little bit more conscious of their workers and their workplace than they did years ago. You know, we've left the days where, I give you a command and you follow regardless with people working from home, with different generations coming out. There's different attitudes. And I think if leaders don't adapt to those attitudes within reason, it's going to be an epic fail because no matter how good you are, it's your people who make up your organization. 
that sure does. And I just am intrigued in organizations that talk about uh, sales, technology, uh, projects, initiatives, and always last as people. And I'm like, how about if we flip that around? Might look at it a little one, bit different. I agree. And one thing I do with prospective clients is I say to them, like, if you're the CEO or COO, I say, do me a favor and call up your company and act like you want to buy your product and tell me how you're handled. Next, I want you to call them again and pretend you have a complaint about the product and see how your customer service team does. That is my interview with you. If you're happy with those calls, there's no need for me to be here. And eight to nine out of 10 people come back and go, well, yeah, no, you were right. We need to look at this. So it, it's always about your people. Mm, always is. Always is. Don't get us wrong. Uh, sales is really important, right? Revenue, bring that in is really important because that's how the organization survives. But if you don't look after the people, either it's from a sales perspective or a delivery perspective or an operational perspective, it ain't going to happen without the people. Uh, so you do need to be a little bit smarter about that. Agreed. All righty. So I think you've actually just already covered off the, the next question, which was how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? Because I think you just said before about leaders are having to be a little bit more conscious about people and listen to them and so forth. And that side, would there be anything else you want to add to that? I would say, and this is going to sound like tough love, but I worked with a number of startups and I think empathy for your staff needs to have a borderline. You almost need to have police tape around it. Because there's times where you can say, I, I really want to help you and do what's going to be best for your career. And then there are other times where you need to say, this is what needs to be done. And I know it's going to be tough and, and I know we're going to put in long hours, but to get from A to B, we need to get this done. So I think there needs to be a fine blend between empathy and tough love from today's leadership. Yeah. I mean, I think we've got to realize as well that we have a business to run still. While at the same time, then there's things to get done and goals, but while also at the same time, having the other aspects in place too. Yep. So it's got to be, it's got to come together nicely and, and complement each other. And you can't have too much of out of balance on one thing and not on the other. Absolutely right. Yeah. Very good. So if we get you to get your crystal ball out now and you think about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? I think leadership is going to be more of a servant leadership. I think we're going to find a lot of leaders wanting to chip in and get down into the muck and really help people with what's going on in the company versus just giving guided direction. You know, the leader has so many things in mind that they want to get done, and there's nobody that can ever anticipate all of them. So I think active and servant leadership is going to really continue to evolve Maybe to the point where leaders take on different roles for different periods of time, just to make sure they understand how their entire business works. And I like the fact that you've added that other word in there, active servant leadership, because I think it's pretty important that roll up your sleeves, get in there and help out. But there's also the other side too, Jake, that I talk about sometimes is sometimes leaders come in and they're wanting to do a lot of that because a lot of leaders become leaders just by the purest chance of becoming a leader but they were subject matter expert around some something and they miss doing that kind of stuff at times. So sometimes they might come in and do it as well. But if there's a crisis or there's something happening and the leader comes in, there's got, there's this time whereby the leader needs to get out of the way because then they start becoming the obstacle. And so yes, give some direction, get in there and help out if when it's needed as well. But at times know when it's the right time to move out as well. 
Yeah. And that deals with empowerment, right? Empower your people to do the right things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a good way of saying it. Yeah, excellent. Well, Jake, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? Sure. I have two spots you can reach me. The first is on LinkedIn. I'm at Jake Stahl on LinkedIn. And then I also have my website, which is jakestahlconsulting.com. Excellent. One thing, Dennis, for your listeners is that if you want to have a free one-hour consult just to see if there's a way that I can help you, I am not averse to chatting with you for an hour to just see what we can do. And if at the end we part ways, that's okay. But I really want to be a servant to everybody and see if we can help everybody be better business people. Because frankly, from talking to their leaders, I become better. Yeah, no, that's great. Jake, thank you for offering that. And uh, so listeners, we're going to put all of that information into the show notes. Uh, You'll see the links here to Jake's LinkedIn side and also his website as well. But Jake, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dennis. I really appreciate the time. Excellent. There you go, listeners. Well, communication should be intentional. The other thing too that you should think about is what is your self-talk? What are you talking to yourself about every single day? And the other thing that you might want to think about is being an active servant leader in the world that is very fast-paced and ever-changing. Hey, thanks for joining us on today's episode. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 